I want to take you back to 1960 in Beijing. And imagine that it's a bright, sunny day. And there, at the Beijing Botanical Garden, on the campus of the University of Beijing, you might have seen a bespectacled, gray-haired man. He would be wearing the iconic Mao jacket that all men wore at that time in China. That man, while you probably would not recognize him, would have been the former emperor of China. And he'd be tending dutifully to the garden. You might even wonder to yourself the life that he must have had and the stories he could have told. Welcome to my podcast, The Rise and Fall of the Qing Dynasty, Cup of Solid Gold, and this is the last episode of this podcast series. It is episode 21, Year of the Rat. In the last episode, I spoke about the Emperor Guangxu, and he died one day before the Empress Dowager died. Before she died, she declared the successor emperor. We also learned about revolutionary leader Sun Yat-sen and his revolutionary alliance. The new emperor was born in Beijing on February 7, 1906. His adoptive mother was Xiao Dingjing Huanghou, and she was a consort to the late emperor Guangxu. The new emperor's name, his given name, was Aishin Jilo Puyi. Later, he chose for himself the Western name of Henry Puyi, after Henry VIII of England. His official emperor name was Xuantong, but I will use the more recognizable name of Puyi, his given name. His father, Prince Chun, was named his regent. Puyi ascended the throne On December 2nd, 1908, he would have been two years old and ten months. Beyond the revolution that would soon force his abdication, 
there is really little to say about his reign. I will talk more about him and his fascinating life, however, later in this episode. So, I have reached the final drama of the Qing Dynasty that would put it out of its misery once and for all, only to be remembered in the history books. Before I get started into this final act, I need to introduce one more person into this history. He played a large role in what was coming. His name, Yuan Shikai. I referred to him in a previous episode without naming him. He was involved with the coup d'etat orchestrated by the Empress Dowager in the late 1890s to stop the Emperor Guangxu from proceeding with his 100 Days of Reform. In 1911, a seemingly benign issue over the control and ownership of railroads in central China lit the torch that would end the Qing Dynasty and Imperial China. Ironically, the revolution that finally ended the dynasty was not started by either Sun Yat-sen or Yuan Shikai. It was spontaneous. The catalyst was the Manchu's decision to nationalize two privately owned railways in central China. The Manchus thought the sale was a clever way for it to raise money to pay for the large reparations bill caused from the Boxer Rebellion and other expenses. The Qing government desperately needed the money. The decision to nationalize, however, led to outrage by Chinese citizens and national protests. The national outrage led to the creation of the Railroad Protection Movement, which was at first a political movement. The objection to the plan to nationalize the railroads centered on two issues. One, many Chinese had invested a lot of money in the railways and their investments would be in jeopardy if the railways were nationalized. And two, it was widely believed the purchasers of the railways would ultimately be foreign banks and investors. The Manchus badly mishandled the entire affair. In one of the railroad protection movement protests, the Qing government overreacted and sent its military. That only worsened the already deteriorating reputation of the Manchus and the overall situation. The Manchus eventually backed down from the railroad nationalization plan, but by then the circumstances were out of control. Fearing even more protests and riots, the Manchus sent more troops. But the new 
additional troops that were sent were part of the recently created modern army. They were created out of the reforms that had been made in the early 1900s. Many of these men had been indoctrinated in the Republican ideals that the Revolutionary Alliance and its leaders had preached and spread through China. And then it happened. On October 9th, 1911, a bomb accidentally exploded in a building that at that time had some of the soldiers of the modern army quartered. The Wuchang incident, now part of Wuhan, Hebei province, China, started the Xinhai Revolution. An investigation into the cause of the bomb explosion uncovered a plot by these reform-minded soldiers to overthrow the dynasty. The regiment involved in this plot quickly mutinied in Wuchang and quickly seized control of the entire Hebei province. These mutineers made Yuan Shikai its leader and the new premier of China. However, not all of China's provinces joined this effort. Those provinces instead declared their allegiance to Dr. Sun Yat-sen. By then, all of China was in chaos. It is said the Xinhai Revolution generally occurred with minimal violence. Actually, that is not completely true. There were isolated areas of intense violence and human casualties. But it is true the violence was not widespread. Those that declared Dr. Sun Yat-sen as China's provisional leader formed their government in Nanjing, or Nanking. So in its earliest days, Chinese revolutionaries were split between a group led by Sun Yat-sen and calling themselves the Chinese National People's Party, or KMT, or Guomintang, and those that wanted to uphold the nascent Republican parliamentary structure that was still centered in Peking. By the end of 1911, nationalist revolutionaries were beginning to assemble a new government. They were led by Dr. Sun Yat-sen. They were determined to form a Chinese republic, but they lacked the muscle and means to remove the Manchus from power. For that muscle, Sun Yat-sen would have to reach out and form an agreement with the other, with the other revolutionary leader, Yuan Shikai, who at that time was the powerful leader of the military forces. And an agreement was reached. And in exchange for military help to force the Manchus from power, Dr. Sun Yat-sen conceded power to Yuan Shikai. 
Yuan Shikai, became the New Republic's president. Soon thereafter, he turned on the Manchus, and the dynasty was lost. On February 12, 1912, the Mandate of Heaven was withdrawn, and the young Qing emperor abdicated. By March, it was official. Yuan Shikai was the Republic's first president. Now, 1912 in the Chinese calendar was the year of the rat. There are many Chinese that believe the year of the rat is an unlucky year and portends bad things. The rat, according to the Chinese lunar calendar, is the first zodiac animal. And there are 12 of them. And it signifies a new beginning. I am not going to offer an opinion as to what happened to the Qing dynasty. I trust anyone listening to my podcast can discern and decide for themselves what happened. My hope and goal is that I have done a decent job telling the Qing dynasty story. I do want to say three things here. Number one, the end of the Qing dynasty ended over 2,000 years of imperial rule in China. Number two, the revolution, or the end of the dynasty, can be considered more momentous than the French, or the Russian, or the American revolutions. And number three, seldom do things happen in a vacuum. In sizing up the downfall of the dynasty and putting it into perspective, about that same time in history, other Long-time empires were on the verge of collapse, too. Think about what was happening with the other imperial empires, the Austro-Hungarian or Habsburg Empire. Or take the imperial Tsar or Romanov Empire in Russia. And think about the Ottoman Empire. But I am not quite done with the Manchu story. Henry Puyi's life story is one that should be told. It has been alleged that his adopted mother, I mentioned her before, Xiao Dingjing Huanghou, was bribed by Yuan Shikai to sign the abdication papers on behalf of the young emperor. It has been further alleged she received 1,700 pounds of silver, or its equivalent, to sign the papers. In her defense, however, it has also been alleged she did all of this under the threat of beheading. What we do know, of course, is that Puyi abdicated at the age of six. The Republic of China let Pui stay and live in the Forbidden City until he was 18 years of age. 
she even allowed him an annual allowance and he could keep his title. For a brief period, 12 days, in 1917, he was restored again as the monarch. China's road to a republic was a bumpy one. In 1924, also the year of the rat, hmm, he was forced to permanently leave the Forbidden City. He exiled in Tianjin, China. In his autobiography, Puyi recalls that he was eating an apple at 9 a.m. on November 5, 1924, when Republic troops arrived at the palace. He was given three hours to vacate the palace. Later that afternoon, he was presented with a declaration for him to sign. The declaration was that his official emperor name, Xuantong, was forever abolished. He then left the palace for good in a fleet of limousines. Many years later, in the 1930s, during the Japanese occupation of Manchuria, the Japanese installed him as the puppet emperor of Manchuria. It was clearly merely a publicity stunt by Japan. Puyi had no real power, but he dutifully and naively fulfilled his role as if he were the real emperor. After World War II and the Japanese collapse, he was arrested by the Russians as a war criminal. They held him for nearly five years. His crime? Helping the Japanese. China, at that time, also reviled him and considered him to be a traitor and a war criminal. Once the Communist Chinese won their civil war against the Republican-led Kuomintang, Puyi was returned to China in 1950. He was sent to a labor camp near Shenyang, China. There, he spent the next nine years pursuing re-education and learning gardening. Finally, he was released and allowed to work for a salary as a gardener at the University of Beijing Botanical Garden. Obviously, he and the Chinese government had made peace with each other. On December 4th, 1959, the People's Republic of China formally gave him a special pardon and he was made a citizen. On October 17th, 1967, Puyi died. He was 61. His ashes were interred in the same Qing tomb as Guangxu and three other Qing emperors. Now, I don't know about you, but Puyi comes off as one of the most tragic figures in history. He was crowned and deposed as an emperor three times, and then only to die as an average person would. 
One of the acts he did to make peace with the People's Republic of China, he returned the official seals that had been handed down to every emperor since Qianlong. Let me say one more thing about this year of the rat. The podcast you are listening to and this episode were produced and published during the year of the rat 2020. A year the world is dealing with the virus pandemic. You draw your own conclusions what that might portend. That's it, folks. Please continue to listen to my new podcast series, Season 2, that will begin immediately after this episode. I want to take out this podcast series, episode, and season with the actual Qing Dynasty anthem, Cup of Solid Gold. And it is courtesy of nationalanthems.info. It is only 50 seconds long. With that, I wish you all a fond adieu. As always, it has been my pleasure.